we also see these risks arising in advanced economies. And as I mentioned, we look particularly at Europe in the context of higher of the energy crisis and higher cost of living. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Trade Talk, the podcast designed to help get your business growing with confidence. Sources of economic uncertainty are already numerous and new political and social risks could exacerbate them further still. We see concerns ranging from rising populism and social unrest to the threat of armed conflicts, terrorism and protectionism. Moreover, the new geopolitical landscape opened up by Russia's actions could reignite social risks in other hotspots around the world. Many topics that we will go through with Ruben Nizar, COFAS economist and expert on social and political risk. Welcome to this podcast, Ruben. Hello, good morning. Welcome also to Jean-Christophe Cavana, head of COFAS Single Risk Business, who specializes in supporting companies with international exposure to trade and political risks. Bonjour, Hello, Ingrid. Welcome to you both. So Ruben, as an economist and political risk analyst at COFAS, what is your general analysis of the current situation? When we look at the political risk environment, of course, uh, we see increased risk at the global level. We are just out of a global pandemic. Uh, we see we are now this war in Ukraine, which has changed um, the geopolitical environment. But at the same time, we also see inflation rising. We see an energy crisis in Europe. So really rising risks globally. And when we look at our indicators of political risk, this is pretty much in line with this assessment of the political risk environment. In 2021, uh, our indicator jumped as a result of these socioeconomic pressures and the health and economic consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic. At the same time, in 2022, although um, our indicator at the global level slightly declined, it remains at elevated level by historical standards. And we see those pressures associated with the cost of living crisis taking the relay of the risks that were generated by the pandemic in 2020. How far do you think that these risks could uh, go and what could be the consequences that we face? So when we look at risks, our indicator of social and political fragility aims to identify risks of political and regime instability, uh, as well as risks of civil unrest. So these events of political risk, they can take several forms and can be very different in nature. So they can start with simple, peaceful protests, but they can escalate and they can go in extreme situation, uh, in situations of extreme political revendications and which ends in riots. Um, so more violence, which can sometimes lead to civil wars. So really a wide range of, of consequences and, and risks. So in terms of consequences, of course, it depends on the form of these political risks. Uh, so when we look at the economic impact of protests, for example, more often than not, they are quite limited. And we have several examples in Europe in particular that, uh, that shows this, particularly in France, where protests are very common. Uh, we see, in general, the economic consequences on economic activity are quite limited. But in extreme case, we can get to a state of failed state, um, where the state can no longer ensure its essential missions and economic activity uh, becomes impossible. So one of the most glaring examples, in my opinion, is uh, the Libya 
in the post-Arab Spring of 2011. This is a perfect example of a country that has slipped into the state of failed state and which is now impeding economic activity as institutions can no longer ensure protection for households and businesses. You mentioned a political and social fragility index, but could you explain how it works? How can you really measure social and political risks So at COFAS, um, we have this indicator of political and social fragility that helps us to inform on political risk index. So we look at two major pillars to assess this risk. So we have first the risk of political fragility, where we aim to identify cracks in the foundation of a political system. So we, what do we look at? We look at the nature, the structure of the regime, We look at the degree of political liberty and civil rights, but we also look at fractionalization of populations on ethnic, religious, or linguistic lines. Separately, we look at the second pillar, more based on social risks and socioeconomic risks. And there are two main risks, main family of risks that we identify in this uh, social risk indicator. So first, we have pressures for change. So in this uh, set of indicators, we mostly find socioeconomic indicators such as unemployment, inequalities, inflation, revenue per capita. So we look at these indicators, both in terms of level and, and, and evolution, to try to assess the socioeconomic pressures on household. The second set of indicators in our social risk index um, is what we call instruments of mobilization and the tools for this mobilization. Um, so we, we try with these indicators to evaluate the propensity of a population to mobilize and to come together against uh, and, and, and to create civil unrest. So in these set of indicators, we mostly have uh, demographic indicators such as the use of the population, the urbanization rate of the population. We also look at demographic pressure to try to identify those risks. And so these two sets of indicators are then combined together to create the social risk index, and then they combine together with the fragility and the political fragility index to create our uh, synthetic uh, index of political and social fragility. Jean-Christophe, your job uh, is to protect corporates against these political risks. As we saw with Robin, political risk, of course, is very complex. It's a vast topic. So what kind of solutions are available for companies? What types of political risk can be covered? What kind of projects do you work on? We offer two main types of solutions. First, we guarantee loans for projects around the world um, through structured credit or single-risk products for banks, financial institutions, development agencies and multilateral agencies. We can cover various kinds of transactions for infrastructure projects, such as roads, harbors, factories and wind farms. Countrywise, we operate around the world and look after projects from Chile to Uzbekistan, from France and the UK to Africa. The second type of political risk solution that we provide is intended chiefly for major corporates with investments all over the world and that want to insure against the risks of confiscation, uh, nationalization, exchange rate losses, local currency devaluation, and uh, regulatory or legal changes that could threaten ownership of their assets. Ruben, do you make a distinction between emerging countries and more advanced countries? 
Are there differences between them, differentiating factors, um, recent development maybe that, that differ? So to uh, answer this question, um, I will start by saying that our indicator of social and political risks by default does not uh, discriminate between emerging economies and advanced economies. We let the indicators do the, the discrimination and, and the ranking for us. With that being said, uh, when we look at emerging countries in general, in our indicator in general, we can say that obviously risks and political risks are more elevated in these countries than in advanced economies. Why? Well, we usually find more unstable political regime, more authoritarian political regime that tend to lead to more protests, but also more repression. So we, we see more of those outbursts of, of social unrest in emerging markets. Um, when we look at the demographics that I mentioned also, um, we can easily find and easily see that with younger population that is highly urbanized uh, in emerging uh, markets, we tend to see this mobilization. And even in recent history, we've seen that happening. So uh, in North Africa and the Middle East during the Arab Spring, for example, uh, but even more recently, we see uh, a lot of countries in Asia, such as Indonesia, or uh, countries in the Americas, for example, uh, or in the Caribbean. A recent example is Haiti, for example. So these demographic factors and these regime factors, institutional factors, do play an important role in a higher risk profile for emerging uh, markets. But with that being said, we also see risks in advanced economies. Of course, in particular, in the current environment, we see the energy crisis with the cost of living crisis, particularly in Europe, uh, putting a lot of pressure on households' income which might lead to uh, to more social unrest or more at least social events uh, in advanced economies as well. Which countries appear to be the most at risk um, if we consider emerging countries? So if we look at the ranking of our index of political and social fragility index, at the top of this ranking, and it has been consistent for a number of years, we find Iran. And in the current context of massive protests after the death of Masa Hamini, this finds um, some particular echo uh, and these results of our model finds a particular echo. We do believe that the, the, the structure of the regime that repressed rights and particularly uh, repressed women's rights um, were uh, laying the ground for high political risk. And you have to add to this picture, of course, a difficult uh, economic situation that has been that has been triggered by economic sanctions that have put the Iran economy uh, in a difficult position for now uh, several years. When we look at the broader picture, um, I will continue to insist on emerging markets. Uh, that's where we are more likely to see events of political risks. But in our opinion, when we, we try to analyze this and when we look at our indicator, civil unrest and more dramatic events of civil unrest are more likely in countries where, first, um, the possibility to express your dissidence and to express unhappiness with the regime are limited. And second factor, where governments have limited capacity to respond to uh, their population's demand. So strained fiscal position, in short. And when we, we take these two factors into account, um, we can already see that some countries appear more vulnerable than other and more prominently, I think of Kenya, for example, in Africa, but also Tunisia and Egypt uh, a, a bit further north. And also 
in other countries. Uh, for example, Bolivia is also an interesting example, in my opinion, where we could see these important uh, events of, of social risks uh, in the coming month. Well, as you said in introduction, developed countries present uh, social and political risks as well. Some of them have indicators very high right now. Which countries and why? So again, looking at political uh, fragility index, when we look at it and among advanced economies, the United States uh, is at the top of this ranking. And this is no surprise in our opinion. Because we've seen increasingly in the United States a divided political environment, which is increasingly creating difficulties in, in terms of political situation. Of course, we can think of the January 6th of 2021 events when Trump supporters stormed into um, the Capitol. That is a very glaring example of political risk and, and major events of this political risk and increasingly difficult political environment. But this has other consequences. And for example, in the United States, we've seen that the increasing divide between Democrats and Republicans has been a hurdle to, to policymaking, which is ultimately a, a problem for, for the business environment and for steady policymaking. But Moving away from the United States, we also see these risks arising in advanced economies. And as I mentioned, we look particularly at Europe in the context of higher uh, of the energy crisis and higher cost of living. I think that there's been so already some interesting examples of, of political risks being triggered by, by the current situation. One very interesting example, in my in my opinion, is the "Don't Pay UK" uh, movement, where we see households mobilizing and refusing to pay their energy bills. I do think this is an interesting uh, an interesting form of political mobilization that is having an impact and that could have an economic impact. Additionally, what we look at in advanced economies is the rise of populism and the rise of extremist views. Of course, in this context of pressure on, on households and on their households' finances, uh, we see the appeal of extremist parties or non-traditional parties rise. And we've already seen, for example, in Italy, in Sweden, that these parties found success during elections. And we see other examples, for example, in Spain or in France, where we could also see a rise in populism or uh, extremist movements. So that's something that we also look at in terms of political risk. Jean-Christophe, the environment today is very challenging. So do you have unusual coverage requests? Absolutely. Uh, with the war between Russia and Ukraine in recent months, we have received extremely atypical requests that we never expected to see on the market. Perhaps most unexpectedly of all, we have received requests for protection against political risk in Germany, where companies are getting nervous about gas stocks being nationalized. Accordingly, we have had requests to ensure against the nationalization or confiscation of these inventories. That is a really startling development and one that would have been unthinkable even a year ago. The war has also led to other coverage requests, particularly involving countries sharing a border with Ukraine. We are starting to be approached by companies that previously did not consider that there was risk attached to their presence in these border countries, such as Poland, Romania, Bulgaria and Slovakia. The war and the geopolitical situation generally have also rekindled interest in projects that were on the back burner or previously deemed insufficiently profitable. 
I'm thinking in particular of a proposed pipeline linking Nigeria and Spain that would travel right along the west coast of Africa. A few years ago, that project was dismissed as a crazy idea. But energy dependence is more dangerous still, and projects like that are back on the table again. How are companies anticipating, how can they protect themselves against these risks uh, that are pretty unpredictable? Companies tend to come to us when they have a problem, which makes it harder for insurers to provide answers. We prefer not to come in when the problem is already there. But we are very happy to get involved and to suggest solutions before issues arise. Once the problem is already there, things become more difficult. I imagine that the challenging global situation will perhaps make companies realize that insurance against political risk is not pointless and does not always go unused. Situations really do occur where it is worth having. So we're going to try to end up on a slightly more positive note. Ruben, are there oases of tranquility in the world, you know, countries where the social and political risks are very low? So I will give a very cautious answer in terms of um, tranquility and peaceful oasis. Um, I do believe that the current situation uh, after the pandemic, the current cost of living crisis, the threat of a major a global slowdown has, has made us enter into a new reality of higher political risk. So that's the the first kushus note that I want to have. Once you've said that, and when you look at the global picture, there are nonetheless a few countries that on a consistent basis are happier to present lower risks. So these countries, they include northern European countries such as Norway or Finland, We can also add to this list of less risky countries, Japan or New Zealand, for example. But even then, again, risks exist. And for example, some government instability in Japan is, is something that we've seen in the past and that we could see in the future. So there are still some risks, even though at the global level, they're probably less risky than others. Are there any countries that have reversed the trend in the recent years? So again, I think it's interesting to be, and we have to be cautious uh, when answering this question. We do see um, some improving trends, especially when looking at our indicators in terms of political risks. I mentioned earlier Tunisia, and Tunisia is quite an interesting example because after the revolution of 2011, what we've seen is an improvement in the political risk index score of Tunisia as a direct result of some institutional changes being implemented after the revolution. But again, uh, when it's not only the trend that matters in our indicator, and but also levels of risks. And although the score has declined quite consistently in Tunisia, when you compare it to uh, the global level, Tunisia remains at quite elevated levels, first of all. So that, that's the first thing. And second, even when you look at the current environment and the current pressures, we do see that there are higher risks. So first, on the institutional progress that uh, has been documented in Tunisia since the revolution, some of that is being questioned by the presidentialization of the regime and and, and some latest constitutional reforms that are uh, trying to be Im implemented by the president. And also, when you look at the economic situation in Tunisia, as I mentioned, Tunisia seems to be particularly vulnerable um, to the current environment of a sharp slowdown of the energy crisis. And in particular, the energy bill in Tunisia will most likely rise as a result of the current environment, of the war in Ukraine, and the spillover impact on energy prices. So this could trigger some social discontent 
particularly for households that have seen little progress in terms of their way of life, in terms of their financial well-being since the revolution more than 10 years ago. So there is some improvement there, but but again, the Tunisian example is a pretty good example that despite some improvement, we are still in an environment of higher political risk. Jean-Christophe, Ruben, thank you very much for those uh, valuable insights. Merci à vous. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. For Kofas, I am Ingrid Lebuzon. Please tune into our next podcast. And in the meantime, head over to kofas.com for all of Kofas's country and sector risk analysis. 